Well, good morning, Oakwood. Yeah, I, my, my voice is a little bassy this morning. It's amazing. I was laughing earlier, thinking about how things happen, like what we see sometimes on, on a morning service like this and what actually happened uh, backstage. It was funny this morning because when we got into our uh, tech meeting before first service, we found out there were some changes in the songs and stuff uh, due to Alan Glor's voice, and then I came in hitting some bass notes that would rock the foundations of the church. And so uh, we both got a little bit of the Christmas crud, which means that all of our prayer circles smell like halls this morning. So, um, but hey, would, would, would really, in all seriousness, cover, cover your prayers over the next 36 hours as we have five services that we're doing. This is the second one. We've got one tonight at seven, two tomorrow at four and seven. So just uh, praying that uh, Alan and I's voices will, will hold out. And we know that they will. God's good. And uh, just a great time to celebrate uh, Christmas and to really uh, be a part of what God is doing and be a part of what the season's all about and really be able to focus our, our mind's attention on the Lord, to turn our hearts toward Him and, and to really focus on the season. You know, last week, we've been in this series called Christmas in the Chaos, and last week I feel like was kind of the climax of the story. I mean, wouldn't you say that? Jesus is born. Hallelujah. You know, the angels are there. They appear to the shepherds. The shepherds come and worship. Uh, then you have the, the magi come. And, and we read all that last week, and you're thinking, this is great. You know, Jesus is born. Uh, everyone was excited. Um, and, and then you kind of get to the end of all that, and you think, well, didn't you just say, well, then, and then everyone lived happily ever after, right? But it seems like there was some more chaos that was going to come their way. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to, we're going to talk about this really in, in kind of a before and after effect. Uh, we're going to talk about a scripture from Isaiah chapter 9 that was actually before, 700 years before the birth of Christ Jesus. And then we're going to be looking at the rest of the Matthew 2 passage, uh, verse 13 and following, that we didn't get to uh, last week. And those will be our scriptures for today. Because whether it was Jesus' own nation rejecting him, whether it was a jealous king that was seeking to kill him, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph experienced some chaos and some upheaval to their life. We read about that earlier in that the fact that they were called to a census and everybody had to report to their, the hometown of their lineage and they had to make this, this trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem while, while Mary was very, very pregnant. You see, being God's son didn't mean that when Jesus was here in this world that it would immunize him and his family from having to suffer some things. Rejection, disappointment, and some chaos. But if he dealt with it, then I think if we put our hope in him, we can deal with it too. And even in the midst of all that is going on, we can find hope. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, talking about the coming Messiah, kind of sheds light into this hope. <clears throat> this is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, this passage, this prophetic passage, talking about that a child is going, going to be born, that a son is going to be given, and then when this son is born, they're actually going to call him Mighty God everlasting, eternal Father, 
the Prince of Peace, a wonderful Counselor. And it keeps talking in that passage about the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to reign on David's throne. And he's going to be a king and hold that king and establish it and hold it forever. He's going to rule in righteousness. And because of that passage from 700 years before, there were some expectations coming when the Messiah would come. Which brings us to our first point this morning. Expectations aren't always healthy and can lead to disappointment. Expectations aren't always healthy and can lead to disappointment. You know, what I mean by this is that our mind as humans, in our humanity, we have this picture of God. We have this picture of God in our mind, and sometimes when life happens, we feel like God isn't matching up with what he, we thought or what we pictured He might be. At face value, the prophecy in Isaiah seems to be talking about this coming Messiah, and it certainly looks to be something to do uh, with being a government ruler. And expectantly, because of that, that's what the Jewish nation believed Jesus would be. There were countless foreshadowings of Jesus, not only in Isaiah's passage, but throughout the Old Testament. With verses like this, but verses like this in Isaiah gave explicit descriptions of what the Messiah would be like. I think this is maybe even partially why King Herod was so threatened by the birth of Jesus. Everyone was expecting this next conquering king. And it wasn't until later in life, though, that we discover that Jesus wasn't about earthly kingdoms. No, he was about a heavenly kingdom. He was about a greater purpose. That's not what the Jewish people were looking for, though, and thus, it seems like they were disappointed. I think that this idea of expectations plagues many of our lives today because in our flesh we strum up how life is going to look for us. This is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to be. And when we have those expectations and they're not met, then it seems like we're disappointed. It seems like we can be confused. We can be depressed. I, uh, took our, we took our family uh, to the Polar Express train ride in Stillwater a few years ago. You might remember when they had that. I don't know if any of you got to go uh, be a part of that and experience that together. But it was one of those things that uh, when we went over there, we had all these expectations. You know, it's going to be just like the movie and the train is going to be awesome. And it was, it was a pretty neat little train. Um, and and you, you sit in these cars and you load up and you get your ticket punched. And, you know, there's parts of the movie they do and they serve the hot cocoa and they played the, the music from the movie and the train and, and all this stuff. But the, the climax of it was that you're actually taking this train to the North Pole, which if you didn't know, that's like 20 minutes outside of Stillwater, okay? If you've ever been to Stillwater this time of year when it's dry and there's nothing going on, then you could realize right away that uh, Stillwater did look nothing like the North Pole, okay? It was a very desolate North Pole. You know, I thought maybe we were going to the South Pole. They pulled us the wrong direction. But there's this anticipation we had because we had these expectations. We're going on the Polar Express, and we're going to go see the North Pole. And when we get to the North Pole on the train ride, it was very depressing, <laughs> To say the least, it was like cardboard cutouts in a painted little town that looked like maybe the, the second or third graders of Stillwater Elementary had painted it for them. Uh, some of the lights weren't working. Uh, some of the displays had blown down in the Oklahoma wind. And we just got there, and it was so anticlimactic because, you know, we're on the Polar Express, we're singing, we're having the hot chocolate, and we're doing all the songs and going through all these motions, and you expect this to be this culmination at the North Pole. And, and it was more like the Polar Depressed than the Polar Express, just being honest. And you, you wonder about the experience being, okay, that was okay experience because the expectations were so high, right? 
the expectations were there that it's going to be just like the movie. It's going to be really special. And it's going to be really awesome. And you get there and you realize, you know what? This, this really wasn't awesome at all. I think sometimes our, our disappointment with God is kind of that way. And don't, don't be alone in this if you've ever had that moment in your life where you felt actual disappointment with God. It's not an uncommon thing. Sometimes we just have these expectations of how it's going to go. And, and I'm walking with the Lord, and so it's going to go this way, and it's going to go well with me, and life is going to be easy. But I think it's also right for us to acknowledge that sometimes our disappointment with God has more to do with our expectations than it has to do with who He really is. Sometimes we expect God to do something or to be something that He just simply is not. And he may actually do or be something that's the opposite of what we actually think. Have you ever had that experience where you watch a movie trailer and you're really excited about a movie? You know, you watch the two minutes of a trailer. Now, let me get a little bit of hint, give you a little bit of a hint here. Um, when, you, when you watch that, you do realize that's like the best two minutes of the movie, right? That's how they're going to sell the tickets. They're going to put the best two minutes of clips in this trailer to get you to go. And you're going to, you know, people see trailers and they're like, man, I got to go see this movie. You know, it, it, it was awesome. It, 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 you know, I cried and I laughed and there's two minute trailers. So I've got to go see this movie. But then sometimes you go to see the movie and what? You realize when you get there, this is nothing like I thought it was going to be. In fact, this is really lame compared to the trailer. The trailer was so exciting and this, this just isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. And again, it's because you had built up these expectations. Think about it the way it was in Israel at that time with Jesus coming. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders at that time, had watched a trailer for quite, uh, quite a few years about the Messiah. And their protégés and their contemporaries, they had made this trailer themselves. And they were built up expecting one thing, and unfortunately the actual event was quite different. You see, the religious leaders and the priests were interpreting Scripture and making Jesus into what they had hoped He would be, that He'd be this conquering team this conquering king, and that he would bring external peace to Israel, peace from their physical enemies, a powerful conquering ruler who would kick the Romans out of the land of Israel and put them back in charge of their homeland. That was the Messiah that they expected to come. But Jesus came in quite a different way. His end game was to bring internal peace, not external peace. External peace can be lost in a second. But nobody can steal your inner peace. And Jesus understood, being God's son, that that's exactly what humanity needs. You see, they were looking for an external salvation, but Jesus didn't bring that. Instead, he brought us an eternal salvation. He ushered in a brand new covenant with God's people. And this covenant would eventually bring about external salvation as well, but we know in reading the scripture that that would not be fully realized until the end of the age. You see, the natural response is to God behaving differently than uh, man's assumptions sometimes stirs up anger, sometimes even resentment. Maybe it's gotten you to a place where you reject God, and sometimes it just breeds in us this desire for personal control of our circumstances. It's what many of God's people did in the Old Testament, and even into the times of Jesus. Well, let's admit it. We still do this today. Others, however, decided to shift their perception and expectations of God. To watch what He was doing. 
through the ministry of Jesus. They acknowledged that Jesus was meeting a much deeper need for humanity. He was pointing to the fact that none of us could possibly be good enough to satisfy the perfect standards of God. And He provided hope for us in that. Salvation from sins, forgiveness, and mercy, and peace. And when our assumptions of God don't match what He actually is, our responsibility is to shift our perspective of God. We're called to simply place our faith in Him. To believe in Him and His will and His ways. And to trust in God's plans for our life. And when we do that, we won't be ruined by our expectations. You see, expectations aren't always healthy. They can lead us to disappointment. The second passage I want to look at today is the rest of the Christmas story after the birth and after the Magi have left. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 13 today. And if you didn't uh, bring a Bible, grab that one that's there around you. Turn it to page 808. And you'll be right there where you need to be. And remember, you can always follow along in the app where all the scriptures and sermon notes and all of that are in there. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. In fact, let's skip back up to, to verse 12 here. Just kind of set the stage for what's happening. It says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. It's talking about the, the wise men, the magi there. that They had been warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod. Because if you remember from, from a couple weeks ago, uh, Herod said, Hey, uh, why don't you go find the Christ child and then report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. But we know that that was actually just a dark and sinister beginning to a plan to do something about this newborn king of the Jews. Now verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2 says this, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. You see Matthew here is pointing out to us as he does so many times in the Christmas story another prophecy from hundreds of years before that was being fulfilled in the way the Christmas story happens. Now, I don't know about you, but in this next verse, right before 16, I have a cut and a subheading there in the ESV, and it says this, Herod kills the children. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who are two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Can you imagine what that was like? We don't celebrate this part of the Christmas story an evil, selfish king being threatened by the newborn king of the Jews to the point he's actually going to take the life of all the males to wipe out whatever might be happening there. But God, again, had a plan. Saved his son by sending Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus to Egypt. Verse 19. 
But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother Mary, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that which was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene, that Jesus, the Son of God, would be called a Nazarene. You see, the story just didn't end with, and they all lived happily ever after. There was much more uh, that was going on there as they had to actually escape and run for their lives. And I want you to notice that it says there in verse 14 that he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. What that tells us is a couple of things. First of all, by night, because of the covering of darkness, you'd uh, stand a chance of being less detected. The second thing is that there was some urgency there. Urgency to get on the road and to get out of that place. One of the things I think we can learn from this passage is that our disappointment in life doesn't mean that God isn't still working. Our disappointment in life doesn't mean that God isn't still working. Because King Herod had wrongly assumed that Jesus somehow posed a threat to his kingdom, and the Magi didn't fall for his trick of telling him where Jesus was, he ordered this slaughter of every male baby in that region. And yet God worked his plan, sent Joseph a warning in a dream to get out of there and escape to Egypt. And looking back at the Christmas story, it's, it's so easy to see the hand of God moving, isn't it? Fulfilling his promises to Mary and Joseph, the, Joseph that were made at the very beginning. This child was miraculously conceived, heralded by angels, and visited by very important people. There were dreams and visions all confirming the promise all along through the Christmas story. Living in the situation, though, you think in the earthly circumstances, with our human, humanity and our, our human eyes, had to be very difficult. I'm sure there were times that Mary and Joseph doubted the promises of God. Is this really going to happen? But then they saw the miracles. But I think they also paused and saw the circumstances. And I think if you looked at just their circumstances throughout the Christmas story that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, you could see that sometimes those circumstances seem to overwhelm the miracles. It's amazing how quickly we can lose sight of God's promise. In the movie series, and it's also a book series called Lord of the Rings, in one of those movies there's a key character who dies. In one scene, the character's name was Gandalf, the, the character that set the whole journey in motion. He confronts a monster in a cave, and he sacrifices his life to save the rest of the team. And then he plummets to his death. It's a very emotional scene. And in the aftermath of that scene, there was this complete disillusionment on the part of all of the characters that were left behind. Gandalf was essentially the heart of the mission. He was the vision keeper. If he died, how could they possibly achieve success in their quest? But in a later movie and in a later book, we see that Gandalf's fall was not the end of him. Though it seemed impossible for him to survive, there were some larger forces at work. This is a great example of how 
things can seem impossible for us. It can seem like the vision that we had for life, it may be even the vision and the dream that we felt like we had with God, that that dream has somehow died now. Yet God can resurrect it. If He's going to give you a promise, then He's going to fulfill it because God always keeps His promises. It might be that the dream never actually died. It's, you're just assuming that it did. Or it might be that God will do the supernatural. He's actually going to resurrect something in your life. The way it happens, though, might not look like the way you thought it should. But I want to take you back to week one of the series. To the very beginning of the Christmas story. We read about an angel appearing to Mary in a dream. And do you remember the key line of what that angel said to Mary? A scared teenage girl from Galilee told that she's going to bear the Son of God while she's still engaged to Joseph. The angel told her this, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Do you still believe that today? As you're looking down your circumstances and maybe some of your disappointments in life, are you still believing that statement of hope? That there's nothing that is impossible with God. When you say it's over and there's nothing I can do, nothing is impossible with God. When you seem like you are in those dire circumstances, you need to just remember that nothing is impossible with God. You see, God wants to fulfill His promises. But he's not going to be controlled by us or manipulated by us. He does it in his own timing and in his own way. And that's not because God is fickle. It's not because God enjoys messing with us. God just has bigger plans and bigger purposes that we can't even understand. I wonder sometimes if God were to pull back the veil of the future and actually show us exactly how it would be, could we in our minds handle it? I think not. Because God is bigger than all that. There's a lot more happening to the fulfillment of a promise. He's got a full-fledged plan at work, and I believe it to be quite complex sometimes. You see, when God made a promise to Mary and Joseph, he kept it, but not in the way that they thought he would. And when God makes a promise to you, he will keep it. But you need to understand, there may be deeper things working in the background. When the promise is removed from your sight for a time, it doesn't mean that it's gone. It means that God is still working. He's preparing, and maybe he's preparing you, because God will honor what he says he will do. And so we become Christians. When you become a Christian, you accept Jesus' birth, you accept his death, you accept his resurrection as a means of salvation of sin. And it doesn't mean that your life is perfect and easy. It doesn't mean that you'll escape all of the chaos of life on this earth. But it does mean that you have an advocate now that can sympathize with everything you're going through. And you know why? It's because Jesus went through all these things too when he came into the world. Not only that, but he also has the power enough to do something about it because he overcame death through his resurrection. He can become the calm in your chaos. And when you're disappointed by the chaos in life, you can rely on God. When we rely on Him, we have the opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of who He really is. 
we find our expectations for who he is and what he does to start lining up with scripture and to line lining up with his will and his ways and we can trust him and trust that he's working in the background for a much bigger purpose even if it seems like it's impossible for promises to be fulfilled the bottom line is this jesus was sent to be the king over your chaos he has the power and the might to redeem it all as the king of kings and the lord of lords how do you respond to a king most kings of the world would ask for your allegiance that you would actually pledge your allegiance to him i think that's what we need to do with jesus For some of us, we need to pledge our allegiance to him for the first time. For some of us, maybe we need to reaffirm our allegiance to him this morning. And you say, well, how? How can I do that? You do it by obeying what he has commanded you to do. You think about your next step toward loving and following after Jesus. For some of you, that may be that you need to be obedient in baptism be raised to walk in newness of life. We had uh, two baptisms the last two weeks in first service. We had a wife get baptized last week and this week, her husband. Yeah, there's a whole story behind that. Maybe, maybe your next step to following Jesus is to serve in the body of Christ by volunteering in some ministry in the church and helping accomplish God's purpose and mission there. Maybe for some of you, you You've been putting off stacking hands with this body of believers and, and placing membership in God's church, and now is the time that it, it's come where you know, I need to be a part of this church family. Or maybe you're needing to repent of some area of sin in your life. You need to allow God to rule over that part of your heart. But no matter what it is, God's calling you this morning. He's calling you to choose. And even though you may be looking at your life, and you may be looking at the circumstances of life, you may say, man, there's a mess here. I feel like my life is chaos. My sins that I've committed in the past have created a mess in my life, and I'm not so sure that God can redeem it. I want to remind you of what the angel said to Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. I think the baby Jesus, born in the manger in Bethlehem, wants you to hear that this morning. And not only hear that, but believe it in your heart. That he is Lord. That he is the Lord over Christmas and that he can be the Lord over the mess in your life as well. All you need to do is to call on his name and reach out and accept him.